0: You're listening to our weekly podcast, Getting in the Word with Stuart Guthrie. Stuart is the teaching pastor of Family Bible Fellowship of Ridgeville in Early Branch, South Carolina. We hope to grow together with you, seeking real knowledge from the truth, the Word of God. Here's Stuart. Well, good. I want to begin this morning by asking uh, you a, a question, the most important question you would ever consider, and that is, would you like... Uh, to know God in a personable way. Uh, Have you ever considered a personal relationship with God? Um, Let's start by asking the question, if you were to place yourself on a scale from zero to 100, zero being absolutely unsure, 100% being absolutely sure, if you were to die today or Christ were to come back, how sure are you that you would go to heaven? Would you be 20%, 50%, 100%? Where where would you find yourself on that scale uh, on zero to 100? Now, that's an important question because th- that gives you the certainty of whether you you truly know if you're going to heaven or not. But let me ask you this. If you're only 25% sure, like the little scale I put, what do you feel that you'd have to do in order to be 100% sure. What do you feel that you would have to do? Go to church? Just write it down. Because I want you to consider that as we work through this. Now, you could be 100% sure. I mean, the reality is is we want to make sure that you're 100% right because in reality, you could be 100% wrong. Just because someone believes they are saved doesn't make them saved. I mean, I could be 100% sure that 2 plus 2 is 8. And I could die and go to my grave believing that doesn't make it right, doesn't make it true. And so the question is, well, how can we be certain that we're certain of our 100% accuracy? Well, let me ask you this question. If you were to stand before God and God said to you personally, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? What would be your answer? Write it down. Think about it. Because the reality is, that's an important question to consider. Uh, There are five principles that I want us to discuss today that I believe will help you as you walk through this life to consider Christ in a personal relationship. Five principles that will help you discover how you can know God personally in a real personal relationship. And so the reality is, is first, I want you to understand, number one, that God created man to have friendship with himself. This is important. I mean, in life, there, there are real troubles. There are real struggles. I mean, I see Jacqueline here saying she she she's real and she's struggling. And I hope that this these five points will help clarify and help point and get you back into a right direction and right relationship with God. But it begins first by understanding that God created mankind to have a personal relationship with himself. He didn't create you because... He needed you. He didn't create you because He needed some type of fellowship and 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 your praise and your honor. No, He created you to have a personal relationship with Him. It says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God's creation of the universe really is described in the first two chapters of Genesis with man being the height of His creation. He created it by His very... Voice God spoke, shows us the power of God. And so people are a unique unique creation of God. Genesis 2.7 says, Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed in his nostrils the breath of life. Genesis 1.27, God created man in his own image, and in the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. And God saw all that he made, and behold, it was very good. Listen, by God's design, when He created Adam and Eve, there was no suffering. There was no struggling. There was no difficulties. There was no pain. There was no death. He put them in a garden, a paradise called Eden, where there was no pain, no sorrow, no sadness. But in that garden, when God created man, He placed him there, He gave him what we call free will. When God created man, he gave him free will with the ability to think for himself and to make his and her own decision. But free will, listen, presupposes that one has a choice over what they can and cannot do. Freedom to choose is spelled out really in Genesis chapter 2. When it says, the Lord God commanded the man saying, from any tree of the garden you may freely eat, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day you eat from it you shall surely die. Listen, on that on that day when man chose to disobey God, mankind died just as God had predicted. You say, well, he didn't die. Well, no, he didn't die physically. They died spiritually. He, he died immediately in his spirit, and he began to die physically in his body, and unless corrected, listen, he would die, they would die for eternity, consciously, physically separated from God in a place called hell. And so the second principle I want you to understand is we've all chosen, like Adam and Eve, to disobey God, and our relationship with God has been broken. Man rebelled against God. It says, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like us, knowing good and evil. Now, lest he stretch out his hands and take and also eat from the tree of life and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken, so he drove man out. The consequences of our sinful choice. The consequences of man's choice to disobey God has been devastating. Sin, suffering, war, poverty, greed, sickness, and pain, listen, have all entered into the universe that has been passed down from generation to generation. And the reality is we're all born with a sinful nature. That precious child, though they are precious, the reality is as they were born, into sin. Psalm 51.5 reminds us of this truth when it says, Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. Listen, when a child comes into this world, it soon becomes very apparent they have a tendency towards sin. You don't have to teach a child to be selfish. You have to teach them to share. You don't have to teach a child to be greedy. You have to teach them to be giving. You don't have to teach a child not to 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 not to lie. You have to teach them not to lie. Why? Because they are born into sin. The Bible reminds us of that truth in Romans 3:10. It says, There's none righteous. No, not one. None means none, means no one. And if that's not clear to, that you to understand that all people have chosen to sin against God, the Bible says in Romans three twenty three, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now here's the here here's the, the the thing. See that 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 word we translate into English from the Greek is the Greek word is Hermatia. It's an archery term. It means to miss the mark. The archer's job is to draw back his bow. If you watch the Olympics. When they're shooting those bows, they have one intention, and that's to hit the bullseye. Doesn't matter how close they get. In order to not sin, they have to hit the bullseye. What the Bible tells us is we've all missed the mark. (laughs) We've not hit the bullseye. Listen, in order to get to heaven, you must be perfect. You must hit the bullseye. You must not miss the mark. But the Bible says all. You know what all means in the Greek? All. All, including you and me and all of humanity ever born before or after today. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You may compare your life to somebody else. You may compare it to some godly pastor, some godly person in your life. The most godly person you can think of. But the reality is they all fall short of the glory of God. They are not the standard by which you must measure your righteousness. Christ is. And because we've missed the mark, because we've sinned, the Bible reminds us in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Listen, our sin brings eternal judgment, for God warns us that someday he will be dealing out retributions to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Listen, the warning is there. That one day, because of our sin, because of our separation, because of our broken relationship with God, the Bible warns that we will pay the penalty of eternal destruction in a place called hell. And let me tell you what, that isn't good news. There's no good news yet. Right now, you need to understand that your best attempts, your best efforts, fall short of reestablishing the broken relationship With you and God. Now, sinful man tries to get to God and to reestablish that broken relationship by their own deeds, by their own methods. And so they try it through good works. They try it through religion. They try it through philosophy. They try it through morality. But the reality is, is listen, very close. Our sin, the fact that we've missed the mark, that we haven't been perfect, separates us from God and keeps us from having a personal relationship with God. Listen, our ways are not God's ways. When a person follows his or her own inclination for obtaining salvation through works, through efforts, through deeds, through something they have done or could do, it leads them only to ruin. The Bible is clear that good things, good deeds, good helps cannot bridge the gap of separation between God and man. And the Bible warns in Proverbs 14:12: listen, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end leads to death. Good deeds are not the solution to man's broken relationship with God. Good works are not the way. Many people think good doing good works are the solution for the sin they've committed. But listen, good works cannot remove the stain of sin, which God says in Isaiah 59 nine two your sins, your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins has hidden his face from you so that he doesn't even hear you. Listen, in addition to good deeds, they can't save because, listen, they can't satisfy the just penalty for sin, which the Bible has already told us is death. You've sinned. You've earned a wage. The wages of that sin is death. A righteous judge will declare you guilty. So what do we do? This is the impossibility. You are in a place separated from God, unable to reestablish your relationship in your own ability. So what hope is there? Let me tell you what, the third principle really explains God's initiative through his son, Jesus Christ. Listen, God's love, thirdly, I want you to understand it was God's love that moved him to reestablish a broken relationship with God. It was God's love that moved him to save us from our sin. 1 John 4, 10 says, "In this is love. Not that we love God, but that God loved us and sent His Son into the world. You know, many times I'll ask somebody, if you were to stand before God, and God says, why well, should I let you into heaven? When you know what they'll say, oh, well, I love you, God. And I'll look at them and I'll say, listen, I don't think you love God the way you think you love God. Oh, I love God. Well, the Bible says in John chapter 14, if you love me, Jesus said, you will keep my commandments. And then I'll look at them and say, have you kept them a commandment Oh, that's impossible. I can never keep the commandments. Then maybe you don't love God like you think you love God. But the beauty is this. It was God's love that moved him to reestablish a broken relationship with man, to save us from our sins. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Listen, life eternal is more than just heaven. I mean, that's important. That's great. We await that. But listen to what it says in John six forty seven. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. Listen, using the present tense verb to describe eternal life, God indicates that eternal life can be experienced now in this life. And this tells me, and should tell you, that eternal life is more than just being in heaven. It's about having a relationship with God now. Now, this is eternal life, John 17, 3 says, that they may know you, the one true God, Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. Listen, you can know Almighty God in a personable way today. Now, listen, many confess Christianity, but they don't embrace Christ. It's one thing to proclaim. It's another thing to live it out, isn't it? It's another thing to say, I love Jesus. another thing to obey Jesus. another thing to say, Christ is my salvation. It's another thing to embrace Christ. And that's why the Bible says in Matthew 7, 13 uh, and 14, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and many are those who enter by it. For the gate is wide, for the gate is small, and the way is narrow that leads to life, and few are those who find it. Listen, the Bible is very clear. There's more going down than there is going up. Millions and millions of people acknowledge certain facts about Jesus, so they think that makes them a Christian. But listen, it's not enough to believe about Christ. James 2, 19 reminds us that the demons believed in Jesus and trembled. It doesn't make them saved. It's not about believing in Jesus. You must believe. It's not enough to believe about Christ. You must believe in Christ. There's a big difference. And the fourth principle really explains this important distinction. Fourthly, I want you to understand this. Jesus Christ is indeed the only solution to man's broken relationship with God. And only through Christ, only through Jesus, can you have forgiveness. Listen, the exact details of his his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection is recorded many centuries before his coming to earth in the Old Testament. And the entire Bible points to Christ as the focal point in all of history. Isaiah seven fourteen 14, in Jesus' miraculous birth, was foretold by Isaiah. It says, Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. Gabriel told Mary just how it would happen in Luke and when he said, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Spirit shall be called the Son of God. Listen, Jesus' life was sinless, my friend. He understands what you're walking through today. He understands where you are. Hebrews 4.15 reminds us that we don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with us in our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. So the reality is Jesus' death when he died was substitutionary. He says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us. And while yet we were sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus' death was substitutionary, my friend. The Lord Jesus was not dying for his sin because he had none. He was a sinless person. And as a sinless person, he was dying in your place, paying your eternal debt. And as an infinite person, he was able to die, listen, for every person who would ever live. Jesus' resurrection was ultimately a fulfillment of prophecy. He said in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, Paul the apostle, when he was preaching, says, I for delivered to you what is in first importance. What's of first importance? What did he received. What did he received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. My friends, that's the gospel. That's the good news. Listen, Jesus' resurrection wasn't only a fulfillment of prophecy, it was a declaration of his deity. Listen, he was declared the Son of God with power, how? By the resurrection from the dead. Listen, just as God had prophesied so many years before, even in Isaiah 53, the suffering servant who we knew would come and die on our behalf and be pierced through for our iniquity. Listen, death could not hold him in the grave because he had never sinned. His resurrection declared to the world that he was indeed God the Son, validating his claim to be the only way to the Father. And that's why he claims in John 14, in that upper room discourse, when he is meeting with those disciples who are scared to death, where he tells them, I'm going away, and where I'm going, you cannot go. He tells them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Listen, Jesus is not a good way. He is not the best way. He is not the most reasonable way. He is the only way. The Bible says in Acts 4.12, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. So let me ask you a question. Where is your hope? There in John 19.30 when Jesus was hanging on the cross, and he said, Tetelestai. Basically, he was saying, it is finished. It paid in full. Tetelesty was a tax term, and, and if you owed me a million dollars you couldn't afford to pay it, I would say, give me the tax receipt, the, the, the O slip, and I would write on it, paid in full, tetelestai. And when Jesus was hanging there, he says, it is finished. He paid for our sin on Calvary's cross. Listen, if we could satisfy the just penalty for sin, which is death? Then there would be no reason for Christ to give His life for us. Christ's death was not meaningless. Galatians two twenty one says, "If we could be saved by keeping the law, then there was no need for Christ to die." Listen, if you could be saved by your obedience to God's commandments, then Jesus Christ never had to die. And that is why in Titus three. 4 and 5, he says, is not by your deeds which you've done in righteousness, but according to his grace, according to his mercy. Listen, the Son willingly, obediently, sufficiently gave his life as a payment for our sin. Now I want you to entertain yourself with me for a moment this morning. I want you to consider something. I want you to think for just a moment That if Michael decided today to kill Patty Gable, Michael shoots her, kills her, she's dead. The judge obviously isn't happy with Michael. Neither is the world because Patty's an amazing person. But Michael's now about to be judged by the righteous judge. And he is in the courtroom, and he's standing before this righteous judge, and he's about to get life in prison. There's no way out. And I come in the room, and right before the judge drops the hammer, I say, Judge, wait. I, I, I don't want Michael to have life in prison. I'll I tell you what, Judge, I, I'll take Michael's place. Michael can be set free, and and I'll take his place, and I'll take life in prison. And the judge says, well, that's really ambitious of you, Stuart. That's great. And you got my my thinker working. And I, I tell you what, that's not good enough, but I see you have a son, Stuart. His name's Elijah. I tell you what, you take your son, you hook him up to that electric chair right across the room, You pull the plug on your own son. You kill your son, and I'll let Michael go. The son willingly, obediently, sufficiently walks over. He hooks himself up to the electric chair. I walk over as his father, and I pull the plug on my very own son. And the judge says, bam, not guilty. Michael, you're free to go. Michael walks out of the courtroom, and... To the amazement of everybody there, all of the news channels are focused in on Michael. And they're asking the question, Michael, how in the world are you out free? You're supposed to be having life in prison. Michael goes, well, you know, I've lived a good life. I started reading my Bible recently. You know, I, I prayed a prayer. I gave to the poor man. I went to church. I read my Bible. I did all of this and that and this and that and the and the camera takes his focus off of Michael, pans over to me, the father, who has just given up my son. What do you think the father would say? How dare you, Michael? How dare you try to rob my son of what he has accomplished? You've done nothing, Michael. It's all the grace of my son giving his life for you. Listen. Don't slap God in the face by thinking for one second your righteous deeds can give you eternal life. It was the Son. It was the Father who sacrificed His very own Son that you might have life. It wasn't your deeds. It wasn't your efforts. No, 2 Corinthians 5.21 reminds us he made him who knew no sin to become sin on behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Listen, to have a personal relationship with God, you must be as righteous as holy God himself. The Bible declares, though, that we're of all sin and fallen short of the glory of God. We've missed the mark of righteousness. But listen, for this reason, the Father judged the Son as if He had personally committed your sins and my sins. So that by faith in Christ, you can receive the benefits of His sinless life and substitutionary death. Listen, it's critical It's very critical that you be 100% sure that you have His righteousness. There are four common responses to people as they give their answer as to why God should let them to heaven. And the four common responses we get, number one is the first one is no response at all. That's the wrong answer, my friend. That's not salvation. The second common answer we get is good works equals salvation. Well, I've done this, A, B, and C, but we've just uh, we've just shown you that it's not good works that save you. The most common answer we get in Christianity today is this. I have faith in Christ plus good works equal salvation. But I'm here to tell you, friend, that's not the right answer. That's not salvation. That is a works-based theology. Read Galatians chapter 1. Paul says they are to be a curse if they come to you preaching a gospel contrary to what we've preached. No, listen, the only proper right answer to how one is saved is faith alone in Christ alone equals salvation. And then comes the byproduct of good works. Good works don't save. They don't help save. They are simply the evidence of fruit of true conversion. It's only by trusting in Christ, His death, burial, and resurrection that you can have a personal relationship with God. But listen to me very clearly, friend. You must respond by receiving Jesus Christ as Lord. The fifth and final principle I want you to understand is that we must, we must personally Receive Christ as Lord. And then and only then can you have your sins forgiven and know God in a personable way. So we must receive Christ. John 1, 12 says, But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God even to those who believe in his name. Listen, it, 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 it's, it's it's because you've received Christ that he gives you the right to become children of God, which pre-assumes that before we give our lives to Christ, before we are saved, before he makes us new, we are not children of God. We are children of Satan. and We need to become children of God. And it is him who gives us the right to do that. And it's through his son, Jesus Christ. We can receive Christ By faith, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not as a result of work, so that no one may boast. Listen, if you could work your way to heaven, you'd give yourself a medal. We live in a generation when when kids get trophies for just participating. If you could do something good enough, you better bet you would boast about it. But we're saved through faith, and this not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. Even your faith is a gift of God, my friend. Listen, we must respond to the remedy of God by faith. It's not enough, listen, to have some kind of intellectual understanding that God's Son died in your place, that your sins might be forgiven. Nor is it enough to have some kind of emotional experience. Oh, I got the goosies. Listen, salvation involves the will, my friend. This is serious business. One must change his mind and acknowledge sin and rebellion in their life that they have indeed sinned against a holy and righteous and perfect God. You have offended a holy God. And the wages of that sin is death. You must change your mind towards your sin. It's called repentance. And you must trust in Christ alone by His death, burial, and resurrection for forgiveness and new life. Those who place their faith in anything else other than Christ, listen, will find themselves painfully, eternally separated in hell. This is not God's desire. And so He sent you a Savior. (laughs) He sent you a Redeemer. He sent you someone to take your place, to die on your behalf. And it was His own Son. It's not God's desire that anyone perish, but that all would come to repentance. Listen, the Lord is not slow about His promise as some count slow, but patient toward you. God is patient toward you this morning. He's not wanting that any to perish, but that all to come to repentance. So let me ask you a question. Let's just say for a second, you were standing on the Grand Canyon. God is on one side and sinful man, stained, separated man is on the other side. Where are you? Are you over here with man, stained, separated in enmity with God, separated because of your broken relationship with God that has never been made right, living in sin, unforgiveness, a hater of God? Or are you on the other side of the Grand Canyon, a friend of God, a child of God, born again, regenerated, made alive, and dwelt with the Spirit of God. The bigger question this morning is, where would you like to be? Listen, the most important thing you can do is be honest with yourself. Just look back at your answers. What do you think saves you? It's not your works, not your deeds, not your efforts. If you were only 20, 50, 60, 80, 90% sure that you're going to heaven, you ain't going to heaven because you don't believe the gospel. Because if you believe the gospel and it permeated your heart and God and dwelt with you with the Spirit of God, you would be confident that you were saved. If the devil can convince you that you're going to heaven when you're not even convinced that you're going to heaven, he's won the victory. No, you must trust, you must believe, you must put your faith in Christ so that you can be 100% certain that you are going to heaven. He says in John, I've written these things so that you may know you have eternal life. So where are you? Staying over here with God or separated from God? Listen, the bigger question is where do you want to be? Because you can receive Christ right now by faith. Faith is, listen, simply taking God and His Word by believing what He has promised. Because His Son died and rose again, God can promise you. And listen, when God makes a promise, God keeps His promise because God is not a liar. The devil is a liar, but God is not. And He says in Romans ten thirteen, Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. Listen, one way to express your faith in God's promises is by calling out to Him in a prayer. Now, prayer don't save anybody. But the reality is is we need to call on Him. We need to ask Him. We need to trust in Him. And you can do that today by asking Him, Lord Jesus, admitting to Him you are a sinner, and confessing to God. God, I can't be good enough to get to heaven. I know I'm I'm wretched. I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. I'm stained. I'm separated. I'm enmity with God. I could never be good enough for your forgiveness. And so, God, today I give you thanks. I give you praise that you would leave heaven and become a man and die on the cross that I might have life. Thank you for taking my place, my sin, my punishment that I deserve. And Lord, as the risen Christ, I trust you now to forgive me of my sin and to give me the gift of eternal life, for I know I can't do anything. I simply need you to do it. Because you, God, have rescued me from my sins. And out of the gratitude... Of that grace, Lord, today I purpose, I I desire to follow you as King and Lord of my life. Thank you for making me your eternal friend. Listen, if this prayer expresses the desire of your heart, then receive Christ today. The Bible, listen, promises eternal life for anyone who will receive Christ. He says in 1 John 5, 11 to 13 and the witness is this, God has given us eternal life. Who's given it? God's given it. We haven't earned it. God gave it. And this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. These things I've written to you who believe in my name, the Son of God, in order that you may know that you have eternal life. You can be certain today, my friend, because Christ paid our debt in full. The Bible informs us we don't have to wonder over our salvation, but that we can know that we are eternally saved from sin's penalty. That give us a right to live in habitual sin, my friends. The truly born again, regenerated from above will no longer live in sin because they are no longer a slave to sin. Listen, if you've received Christ today as your Lord and Savior, You may be asking, what now, Pastor? What should I do next? Well, the Bible says you should make your decision public. The Lord Jesus taught that a true inward possession of Him will always result in an outward confession. Matthew 10, 32. And ultimately, our confession should, uh, should express itself in baptism. Baptism, listen, is a symbol of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, as seen going down in the water and coming back out. It, it symbols the death, burial, the resurrection, the gospel. But listen, it doesn't save. It doesn't even help save. It's just a symbol. It's like I'm married to my wife and I wear a wedding ring. That wedding ring symbolizes my marriage. If I take that ring off, I am still in a covenant relationship with my wife. But the ring symbolizes the covenant between me and my wife. Same with baptism. The baptism doesn't make the covenant. It simply tells everybody that's watching, I have a relationship with Almighty God. I I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's a symbol, but it's also an act of obedience. You need to be baptized if you're a born-again believer. And if you were saved today and baptized before, you need to get to baptism on the right side of your salvation. The next thing you need to do is find a Bible-believing church. When you receive Christ, you become, listen, a child of God. We want to know. So if you've been saved today, you put your faith in Christ for the first time, please write in the chat room, I trusted Christ today, so that we can rejoice with you, that we can pray for you, and that we can walk with you as you continue down the road of the Christian life. And we want to help you find a Bible-believing church. You were born into Christ. You're a babe in Christ. And just as a child needs to grow, to be nurtured, so does every believer. God intends for us to be a part of a local church where we can grow and benefit from the fellowship of believers. So you'll want to find a church. We'll post a a link in the chat that will um, give you some information uh, some locations by which you can find yourselves a, a, a local church, and and uh, we'll share that link. And I think that'll be helpful for you as you as you continue to grow in your faith. And and uh, but th- this this is a great place to start. And if you if you can't find a church and you need some extra help, direct message me and let me get you connected. Okay but nevertheless we want you to find a bible believing church and maybe the reality isn't one close by you you can make family bible fellowship your church and uh though we are we don't have great internet we do post our sermons the following few days later so that you can watch them on our linktree account and uh it's such a great message uh to to be able to our great great privilege to be able to post those messages so that you could uh so that you could certainly um, uh, continue to fellowship. But then you need to read your Bible. You need to get a Bible and read it. And uh, the Bible is the inspired word of God. Uh, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, correction, and training in righteousness, so that the man and woman of God may be adequately equipped for all good works. So the reality is, 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 is that's a helpful tool. It's a helpful tool for you to. Um, to get a Bible and begin to read, because listen, we are exhorted throughout Scripture in our, in our relationship with Christ, just like God likens the Scripture to milk, honey, meat. Um, we should yearn for it like a child yearns for the milk of its mother. And not only should we get a Bible and read it, we should pray about everything. We should begin to take everything to the Lord in prayer. He says, pray without ceasing. With prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your requests be made known to God so that the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. So that's an important, important process about being a Christian. And then the biggest thing that I think we miss out on and we never get to in the Christian faith, because there's so many here that have already trusted in Christ that are already believers that just need the encouragement. We need to go tell others the good news. We need to go proclaim to the world the good things that God has done for us. In, in, in Mark 5, Jesus crosses over and he stands before a demon-possessed man and he delivers this man and he's healed he's no longer demon possessed and he sends those demons if you remember into the swine and the swine run off the cliff and they all die and the people the, the herdsman goes into the town and tells the people uh, what happened well the people come to visit Jesus and the demon possessed man is now in his right mind and his right mind, sitting at the feet of Jesus and they are worried because Jesus has now killed their produce and so they ask him to leave town they're scared So Jesus leaves, and the demon-possessed man follows Jesus and desires to get into the boat and to go with Christ. But Jesus says, go back and tell the people what good things God has done. He goes from maniac to missionary. And that's what happens. When you are saved, God indwells you with the Spirit of God at conversion. And you have the good news. You may not be a theologian. You may simply be a babe in Christ. But I remember March twenty fifth, two 2001, when I received Christ for the first time. I, had, I wasn't a church person. I didn't know anything about God. But I put my faith in the gospel. I trusted Christ. And when I trusted Christ, the very next Sunday, I went across the street from the church in this nursing home, and I shared the gospel with these people in their 80s and 90s. It was a beautiful opportunity, and it was as if God sparked in me the desire to tell a world about Jesus. And I hope that he will spark within you for those that are in Christ, those that have put their faith in Christ today, that God will spark into you the desire to put your faith in Christ.